Do take a seat. I'm sure there will be party rings uh, at the back afterwards as well, so don't, you don't need to eat them all now. Um, a good selection of, of cakes and biscuits there. Um, I, wonder what you, I wonder what you said when uh, you chatted with the person next to you. What's the most pointless, seemingly pointless or boring thing that you've had to do all week? Uh, I know for, for my wife Charlotte, uh, she's a teacher, and she had a meeting the other day that she went to, and the first 20 minutes of the meeting there was absolutely zero that was relevant to her. She, she sat through this meeting, and it was, well, it was boring. None of it applied to her, and she was really busy. She had loads of stuff to do, and yet 20 minutes was wasted. Maybe, maybe you think, wow, it was only 20 minutes. I sat through a three-hour meeting like that this week. One of the most uh, boring or, or things that I find the most sort of tedious about working for church, and everyone's thinking, oh, what's he going to say? Don't worry. Um, when I have to do risk assessments. I know they're good, I know you have to do them, but you know, are people going to cut themselves on, on a Bible? Are they going to get a paper cut? So, oh, that might be a risk, and we have to do that. And doing a risk assessment, it always, I really struggle to do that, really tedious. But, but maybe as you chatted with the person next to you, you thought, oh, this is a bit of a funny question to, to discuss. Um, but actually, whether it's the email inbox that's never empty, or the fridge at home that needs filling again, or the council tax letter on the side that, oh, you still haven't quite paid. Life can often seem quite repetitive, can't it? Quite frustrating, tedious, maybe even meaningless. That's uh, the book of Ecclesiastes. One of the first things that the writer uh, puts in the book, he says, meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. That's what the author says. And that's not a typo at the beginning of the book um, or a mistake that that is included in the Bible. Maybe you think, gosh, is is the Bible supposed to say that? No, actually 38 times in this 12-chapter book we're going to see this repeat of this word. And actually this book of Ecclesiastes that we're going to start studying today, it, it goes about answering a huge question, what's the point in life? What's the point? Imagine, uh, imagine the following day. Uh, maybe you've had a day like this. You get up, the alarm clock uh, goes off, it buzzes too early, and you sort of try and hit it to snooze it near the bed. And you, uh, you shovel down some bland cereal. And there's, there's no seats on the tube, so you have to stand, and you're up in the armpit of, of someone, and you're quite pleased that you remembered your mask that day. And... Um, well, it's, you take your coat off, you get to work, long meetings, a short lunch break, awkward chat with a colleague, kids are playing up when you get home, the to-do list feels longer than the start of the day, and you just about sort of lob in a high salt content chicken korma into the microwave, and then you feel vaguely guilty as you're eating it, thinking, where was this chicken sourced from? And then you, uh, you throw the, the plastic container in the bin and you think, Oh, I should have probably, should I have recycled some of that? Oh, I watch the episode of whatever it is on Netflix, head hits the pillow, and then repeats the next day. Of course, not every day is like that, I know. Sometimes it will be a vindaloo, not a No, not every day is like that, but, but some are, aren't they? Some days are like that. And so this book of Ecclesiastes, in a, in a unique and penetrating way, it seeks to make sense of, of life life in the world that we live in, or in the words of the book, life under the sun. For those of you who don't know, uh, maybe 
not uh, that familiar with the Bible, um, this book of Ecclesiastes, it comes in the Old Testament in a category called wisdom literature. It goes alongside books like the book of Job, uh, Proverbs, Song of Songs, some of the Psalms as well. And these wisdom books, they're designed to, well, they're designed to train us in the art of, of godly living, what it looks like to honor God in all of life. And so over the next six weeks, we'll see Ecclesiastes uh, will address us in topics like, what does it mean to be a human, to, to be a creature, to be finite? Why do bad things happen to good people? Other questions like that. Ecclesiastes is, is prepared to address the topics that are, that are taboos at middle-class dinner parties. We'll be prodded and we'll be challenged in ways that maybe no other book in the Bible prods and challenges us. It's not always going to be comfortable over the next few weeks. Yet wonderfully, this book is so true to, to our experience of life. It's, it's realistic about the confusing uncertainties in life. And I think we'll actually find that it's hugely comforting as well. If at this stage you'd have a stab about, about what this book of Ecclesiastes is all about, it would probably be something like this. Expect, for, expect frustration, honour God, enjoy his good gifts. Do come back for the next six weeks. It's, it is more than that. But it's something like that. Expect frustration. That, things are going to be frustrating in this life. But we're to fear, we're to honour God. And actually as we do those things, we, we can really enjoy the good gifts that he gives us. First section is Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verses 1 to 11. The words of the teacher, son of David, king of Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear is full of hearing. What has been will be again, what has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new? It was here already, long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. Next section is chapter 12, verses 9 to 14, on page 679. Not only was the teacher wise, but also he imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like goads. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. Of making many books there is no end, and much st study wears the body. Now all, have been, all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, 
where is good or evil. Father, we just sung a few moments ago these words. Cause your word to come alive in me. Give me faith for what I cannot see. And Lord, that is our prayer. As we look at this ancient book of Ecclesiastes, I pray that you would speak to us. You give us eyes to see what you have to say to us today. Thank you that your word is, is relevant to our lives. Thank you that it, it prods us and challenges us in areas that, that maybe we don't always want to be challenged in. And so I pray that you would give us the kind of ears and, and, and eyes to, to listen and see what you have to say to us um, so that we might see Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's the 23rd of January today, 23 days into the year, and I'm quite a sort of New Year's resolution kind of person, that's how I tick. I don't know if you are like that, if you made any resolutions, but 23 days in, how's it going? If you did, maybe you don't want to answer the question, are you still going to the gym three times a week, as you said you would? Or is it just two, or one, or none at all? Um, or you said you were going to learn that new language, the Duolingo app. You, you, you bought it, you downloaded it, and you've opened it maybe once, twice. You weren't quite doing those 10 minutes a day. Or, or maybe it was a, a career thing. You said, look, this, this is the year where I'm going to be promoted or, or go to this role in the company. A few days into the year, how, how's that ambition going? Well, for all our grand plans, the author of Ecclesiastes in verse 2 will say to us, meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. It's not a particularly cheery message, is it? You kind of think, I'm coming to church, I want something sort of inspirational, getting me ready for the week to go into. Really? Is that what we're going to hear today? Who's saying these words? Well, look at verse 1. We're told, aren't we, that these words come from the teacher, the Hebrew word Kohelet, uh, sometimes called the preacher. And we're told that he's the son of David, the king of Jerusalem, king over Jerusalem. Traditionally, then, people have, have seen this as being King Solomon, the wisest, richest king in the Old Testament over Israel. And look, the text doesn't name him explicitly. We're not told exactly that it's King Solomon. But it's clear that it's a, a Solomon-like wisdom figure, likely near the end of his life, mature in years. And he's reflecting and looking back at his life. And he's doing that with the purpose we just heard Matt read in chapter 12, to impart knowledge. Okay? He's imparting knowledge to his hearers and to us by extension as well. And he's going to say to us, meaningless, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Look, these aren't the words of sort of uh, A-level philosophy student who's just kind of encountered the, the great French philosophers and he's, you know, dressed like Steve Jobs with the black sort of turtleneck. No, no actually, this man who's writing this book, he's, he's seen it all. He's experienced everything in life. And yet he says to us, meaningless. It's worth saying that the translation of the Bible we use, the NIV translation, uh, the word meaningless, that is one of the ways that you can translate this word. But we will see at the end of chapter 2 that he says in verse 24, a person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. 
So we can know some meaning and some joy to some extent in life. Uh, Bible experts have sort of geeked out about the best word to use to, to reflect the, the Hebrew word hevel and um, meaningless is what the NIV has gone for. But other translations say breath, uh, vapor, mist, those kind of words, something transitory, something fleeting. Everything then you could say is, is like a breath. Everything is fleeting, vapor. I take um, uh, our children, Ruby and Micah, to nursery in the mornings. And it's freezing, isn't it, at the moment? And you kind of leave the house and Micah loves rushing outside and going, Daddy, I can see see smoke. That's what he calls it. Uh, I can see smoke. And that's a little bit like what this is. Hevel, vapor. That's what life is like, fleeting. Or something like this. You could say life is just just sort of here and you can't catch it. It's transitory, fleeting. That's kind of what life is like, the writer of Ecclesiastes says. And as we hear that, we, we sort of know that's true, don't we? As we hear that. Yet we live our lives as if we are permanent. Yet the function of Ecclesiastes, one of them is is that when we grasp this hevel, fleeting nature of life, that actually frees us. It frees us to, to live life well, to honour and fear God, to actually jo- enjoy his good gifts, accepting our, our limitations, our fleeting existence. So verses 1 to 11 of this book that we're looking at today, that Matt just read, they, they kind of introduce the book And they answer and address the big question, what's the point? What's the point in life? And the teacher begins to show the fleeting nature of life by asking a question in verse 3. Just again, page 670, verse 3. This is the question. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? That word gain in verse 3, that's a sort of business word. We, we get that, don't we? So uh, what's left after all the expenses and the overheads? Once that is all paid, what's left over? What profit is there? What advantage at the end of the year or the end of the month? And maybe, was it Blue Monday? Was that earlier this week, I think? The sort of day when everyone's sort of feeling at their lowest after Christmas? Blue Monday. Maybe you're on Blue Monday, you sort of look out the window and, and you, every now and then we ask, don't we, is it really worth it? Am I really accomplishing anything? When I retire, what, what will I have to show for this life of work? Have you ever asked that? What gain will there be? Well, we'll see from these verses the answer is nothing. Ultimately, we die and we're forgotten. Glad you came this afternoon to Ecclesiastes to hear this. Well, let's have a look to see more fully what he says. One of the the commentaries that I've been reading for this section, verses 1 to 11, they entitled it, Some Basic Facts. And I think that's quite true. Some basic facts about life. The first point we're going to see is this. People come and people go. Here's, um, Here's how the preacher then starts going about proving his point, that there's no gain, no profit for all our toil and work under the sun. 
When it says under the sun, that's sort of all humans on earth, whether Christian or not Christian. And his basic point is undeniable. Verse 4, can you see? See what it says there, verse 4? Generations come, generations go. People come, people go. John and Rachel Mary just sang it. Generations rise, generations. We just sang that a minute ago. And that's true, isn't it? Think of the Babylonian Empire, the Ottoman Empire, the, the Persian Empire, the Roman Empire. They come and then they go. They come and they go. And to press this further, he contrasts people with creation. See, people, they, they come and go, but the earth remains forever. It's unchanging. It doesn't go anywhere and it doesn't gain anything. And to prove this, he takes us back to the geography classroom. Mrs. Richards will be pleased to hear that. And verse 5, can you see straight away? He takes us to show us the sun. I read a couple of days ago that we had, I think in the UK or London, 26 hours of sunshine in the whole of December. Apparently that's a record for the least. Some of you think, is that the most or is that least? I don't know. No, it's the least sunshine. Jeff was in Australia. He probably had that in like two days there, okay? But the sun, what are we told about it in verse 5? Well, it's daily pattern. It, it rises and it sets. And it rises and it sets and it repeats. It's vivid sort of poetic language. It, it hurries back at the end of the day. It literally pants back, exhausted at the end of the day, the writer says. Or we'll take verse 6. The wind well, it toils steadily away, round and round and round and round. Verse 7, the sea. Streams flow in, but, well, the sea's never full. Um, where, near where I grew up, there's a, <clears throat> there's a lake called Swampool. And, uh, yes, there are swans in it. And this lake, Swampool, all of the, the water from that, it flows straight into the sea right next to it. And you can see this little bit where it happens, a grill, and the water just flows. But it's, it never fills up the sea. I mean, it's been there for longer than I've been alive, but it flows and flows. It never fills up the sea. And maybe some of you are thinking, well, what about global warming, Nathan? How does that impact on this? Well, that's not really the point. The point is that the sun, the wind, the sea, it's just a cyclical pattern, round and round and round. Same old, same old. And sometimes the Bible encourages us to look to creation for, for inspiration. We sing songs about praising God for creation, but... Actually, the point here is, is more the monotony of life as we look at creation. If the world doesn't seem to go anywhere or gain anything, and it's here forever, why should we think that we would? And as well as that, people and, and creation, in this contrast, we're to see that our life actually follows a, a similar cyclical pattern, round and round, bills to pay, Nappies to change, mouths to feed, work to do. People come, people go. Of course, um, you get every now and then people say, well, our hope is in the next generation. Gen, Gen X or Gen Z or Z, you know, how you say it. Or it's Gen, Gen A. That's people, you know, the, the Armeens and Little Richards and other, I think it's people born since 2012. But the fact that we're round to A sort of proves the point, doesn't it? People come, people go. There's great hope for the future, but people come and, and we die. And actually, when we contrast people to the sort of sturdiness of creation, we, pr we feel pretty insignificant, don't we? Pretty small in this great context of the goings on in the world. 
History marches on. The world keeps spinning. One person put it like this. Our life will come and go, and we haven't altered the cosmic merry-go-round. Vapor. Breath. Second thing we see from verses 8 to 10 is this. People achieve nothing new. If the reality is then that that we sort of come and go like the mist, we we naturally try and fight against that, don't we? we? We long for some kind of permanence, some kind of satisfaction to give our lives meaning. But have a look at verse 8. It says this, All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. Like the sea then, we're never full. We're never satisfied. We always long for more, for for gain and profit under the sun, but it's elusive. It slips through our, our fingers like grains of sand. Quite rare for in our household, but Charlotte went to the theatre twice uh, in a couple of weeks ago, and uh, she loved it. Really enjoyed going. But even you know, before the end of the performance, she was thinking, "Oh, what? That sort of whetted my appetite. What can I see next? You know, what else is there going on before we've even almost finished the thing that we're watching? You know, where can I get Hamilton tickets for less than eight hundred pounds? You know, you're thinking about the next thing that's coming. Our our eyes, our ears, they're never satisfied." And that's true for all of us. We maybe think the next career change or, or the new relationship or that piece of tech that we're tracking on eBay. We're always just one thing away, aren't we? That's just the next thing. I, I remember um, my friend Ian Maxwell. I think he was the first person I knew to get an iPhone. And I don't know if you remember seeing an iPhone for the first time. I think he had sort of queued up outside the Apple store. I don't know if he'd quite gone for the tent, but you know people were really into it. And I remember eight or ten of us were crowded early on in uni. We were crowded round the table looking at this amazing iPhone. And he was showing us how you can zoom in and scroll. And we, you know, we were amazed by this. But I don't know about you now. When, when you get a, an upgrade, I mean this iPhone I think is basically the same as the last one I had. But... It's not quite as exciting, is it? Does anyone else find that? It's actually a bit annoying. You have to transfer contacts and photos and all of those kind of things. And uh, the la- this, when I had this upgrade, the, a guy who sold it to me called me a few days later. And he said, Nathan, how are you doing? How, how are you finding a new phone? And I said, uh, yeah, it's, it sends emails and uh, text. Yeah, no, it's good. And he said, how are you finding the front-facing camera for selfies? Like, that is... There's a big improvement on this model. I said, well, it still gives me the double chin. No, I didn't say that. But uh, it's, I mean, it's really? Maybe it's the new car or the new flat, the new tweets that we're endlessly scrolling through. And maybe some of these things can, can seem a bit trivial, but, but of course this lust for satisfaction, for filling, can actually lead to much worse sort of ruthlessness, maybe at work, to get a promotion, treading on other people. Or for a relationship, stealing another person's husband or wife. Or going way beyond our means to buy that, that big house that we can't really afford, but we want to sort of keep up with someone. Well, look, we'll say more about this next week. But, but with all our desires for new experiences and new developments and feelings of progress, verses 9 and 10 are like a big fat slap in the face. Have a look at verse 9. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. 
There's nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new? It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. You probably recognize verse 9, whether you're a Christian or not, whether you go to church, nothing new under the sun. It's kind of thing your granddad would say to you, isn't it? It was from the book of Ecclesiastes. And uh, it's universally famous and it's universally true. There is nothing new under the sun. When I was studying at a music college, um, I was part of a, a group, an ensemble called Azalea, pretty name, and uh, we used to play uh, new, new music uh, that had just been composed to premiere this music for the first time. And all of the composers who had written the music came in all of them were actually incidentally dressed quite like Steve Jobs, quite intense, and they sort of came in and they, and they thought that their new piece of music was, well, no one had ever heard anything like it before. You know, it was breaking new barriers for instruments and this new style of music. The reality is it sounded very similar to the thing we played a month before and the thing we were going to play a month later. It was all very, very similar. We called it squeaky gate music. That was sort of very, very contemporary. But whether it's music or maybe politicians, a, a fresh-faced politician that comes with bold, radical new policies, they were probably there 30 years ago, 50 years ago, from someone else. Nothing new under the sun. Maybe you think, well, wait a minute, Nathan. What about tech developments? I mean, Solomon didn't have an Apple Watch or an electric car. There has been new things. This is wrong. Well, it doesn't mean, of course, there's never anything new um, ever invented or discovered. But even Neil Armstrong, as he landed on the, me on the moon, even that was a, a copy of exploration or adventure that we've seen before. And even that, it, it doesn't break the cycle that goes around. It, it doesn't satisfy. We want to go further into space, to a new place, further away. We're never there, are we? I don't know if any of you have got the, the BBC News app on, on your phone that sort of do you have those sort of pushed notifications so that, you know, there's a news alert, urgent, what's happened? You know, I have to stop everything and look at it. The reality is it's, well, someone's been born or, or someone's died or there's been a war started or there's peace or there's a coup to throw out the prime minister or there's another garden party at the number 10 that's been discovered or there's another World Cup that England are going to win but we don't quite do it or there's another stock exchange. There's nothing new under the sun. Vapor, breath, that's what our life is. Third thing we see just from verse 11 is that people are always forgotten. If you're beginning to, from, I don't know, Ecclesiastes or hearing me today, think, yeah, this prodding and jabbing as I'm hearing this is pretty uncomfortable. I don't really like what I'm hearing. Well, perhaps the sharpest prick of all is, is verse 11. See verse 11, no one remembers the former generations and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. My dad um, occasionally takes funerals. Uh, he's, not, he's not a minister but every now and then he'll take a funeral and we, we've all I'm sure been at funerals where there's a sort of seven or eight minute eulogy, isn't there, for, for the person's life and they're often deeply moving as we hear stories and memories from that person's life. Maybe you hear of, of Margaret, who was a, well, she was a lovely lady. She always looked out for others. She walked the dog every day. She sang in the choir. She loved her three grandchildren dearly. And, and of course, it's, it's appropriate and it is right to honor and remember people who have been close to us. 
I know at Trinity that in the last year or two, people have, have lost people very close to them in their life who they love dearly, and it's right to remember and mourn. But 100, 200 years later, Margaret isn't going to be remembered. Of course, there's the odd person that bucks the trend, your Mozart's and your Shakespeare's and those kind of things. But, but if I was to ask us to put our hands up and say, does anyone remember the names of their great-grandparents? Or, if you can do that, great-great-grandparents. Could any of you confidently say, unless you've been doing some sort of fairly intense family tree work in the last week or so, we probably can't, can we? One of the things that I went with Charlotte to watch at the theatre last Saturday was uh, Dear Evan Hansen. I don't know if you've listened to it or, or seen it at all. And... Um, Hopefully it's not too much of a spoiler, but you don't see it, but one of the people in the, in the show, they die. And two, a group of friends kind of gather and they say two weeks later, look, people are already moving on with their lives. Um, how will we make sure that this, this person is, is remembered? People are moving on. We need to make sure that his memory doesn't fade. And of course, it's a theatre show and they burst into song. Don't worry, I'm not going to do it now. But they sing, no one deserves to be forgotten. No one deserves to fade away. No one should come and go and have no one know he was ever even here. And it's kind of a, you know, phones out in the theatre kind of job. You know, everyone's moving, it's getting involved. But, but actually one day that theatre won't stand anymore. And whether actors or audience, one day we will be forgotten. That's the point that we see on the screen here. James In the New Testament, uh, chapter 4 puts it like this. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. David Gibson's written a fantastic book on the the book of Ecclesiastes. I know John John Moody's a big fan and you can ask him about it afterwards. Uh, It's it's an excellent book and one of the main sort of illustrations he uses to describe this is is of building sandcastles. And... uh, Obviously, there's no decent beaches near London. You have to go all the way down to Cornwall to get the, the nearest good beach, Golden Sand, down there. And, but you see it, don't you, on a, on a lovely summer's day, a family that are maybe sort of really committed to the whole day of building, um, building sandcastles, really sort of getting the team together, and they're building, and it's beautiful. And then the tide inevitably comes in, and whew, just one wave, and it's gone. And David Gibson makes the point, he said, look, this is a good picture of life according to Ecclesiastes. That the mark that we make, our toil, our work, is erased, it's gone. It humbles us. Well, what do we do with this? How do we make sense of these first 11 verses? Well, let me briefly say two wrong approaches, I think, to this book of Ecclesiastes. One right approach a challenge, an encouragement, and we're done. And I promise to do that all in five minutes. Okay? Five minutes, let's concentrate to the last bit. Two wrong approaches then as we hear these verses. Number one would be despair. Despair, to just say, well, what's the point? You know, pessimism as you look at life. Or even more than that, a nihilistic view where we say, well, God's out of the picture. He's got nothing, you know, he's not around. Well, shrug the shoulders, that's it. I want to suggest that would be a wrong approach to this book. Another wrong approach, maybe we're a bit more likely to take this one, is to say, yes, the teacher is right here. This, I guess this is true. But, but the writer, they, they didn't have Jesus. 
and, and we've got Jesus, and that makes everything better, and so our life is happy and sorted, and so we can basically just, sort of just ignore these verses. Well, yes, we do have Jesus, and that does change everything, but it doesn't cancel out what we've just heard. Yes, one day frustration and futility and death will be no more because of Jesus, and we'll sing about that in a moment. But tomorrow, next week, life under, under the sun in this broken and sinful world, it, it's not always going to be pretty. It's not always going to be neat and fulfilling. It will be full of things in life that sort of just bamboozle us. And so I want to suggest the correct approach is to see Ecclesiastes, this book, as, as a godly man's, not pessimistic, but realistic view of normal life under the sun with all its ups and all its downs and that leads us then just as i said to a challenge and an encouragement a challenge as i was thinking about this as i look out there's lots of people here at trinity who are fairly young maybe you still count yourself i'll let you decide whether you count yourself in that bracket fairly young successful driven ambitious and the danger, I think, is that as we power walk into the office feeling like that, that we think that we're indestructible, that we're somehow permanent, and we're unique. And Ecclesiastes 1 doesn't really apply to us. Yeah, maybe other people, but not really us. Well, these opening verses, as I said, are like a sort of jab in the side. That one day we will die and be remembered no more. And the wise person accepts their creatureliness, their finite nature. And maybe you're sitting here today and you wouldn't call yourself a, a Christian. And you need to be confronted and humbled, perhaps, by the fact that the world that we live in, the universe that we live in, is broken and frustrating. And your life, too, is, is fleeting. It's gone just like that. But there's also an encouragement. Some of us who were around at James and Felicity's the other night for, for Curry Club, we thought about this a little bit already. See, Jesus, when he turned up in the New Testament, he, he reiterated what the teacher here is saying, that we, we can't profit here and now. Jesus, do you remember, said, for what good is it to gain the whole world, yet forfeit your soul? Jesus said, don't store up your treasure and stuff on earth here and now because that's just vapor it's fleeting no jesus says store up your treasure in heaven see only in the life to come will we be free from the curse of sin without frustration without futility in this world only there is permanence and things that last in that new creation that new heavens and new earth where righteousness dwells and so yes we'll die people come and people go but those trusting in jesus christ and his death and his resurrection have a hope that goes well it goes beyond the grave and actually knowing that understanding that 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 actually frees us it liberates us to live life to the full here and now let me pray Father, this book perhaps surprises us as we hear the Bible be as honest and realistic 
about things in this life. Uh, maybe as we hear these things, we sort of naturally react against them or, or don't like them. But Lord, as we think about these things, help us to honestly assess the reality of what we're hearing, that, that our life is just a vapor. It's fleeting, and it, and it does matter how we live now in relation to you. And so, Lord, I pray that you might be with us as we reflect on these words, as we study the book of Ecclesiastes over the next uh, month or so. Help us to be aware of our limitations, our creatureliness. And I pray that we would expect frustration, honour God's, and enjoy his good gifts in the here and now. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.